0: Well, thanks for joining us again at the Football Diary podcast. It's uh, great to have you with us. Now, it's been a season of unprecedented things going on, really, this, this time around with COVID obviously disrupting football, football massively. Um, and the war in Ukraine has, has had an effect as well. But I think this week is kind of one of the major changes of, of the way we see football with external factors with the Chelsea situation. So they find themselves without an owner at the moment. Roman Abramovich has been there for 19 years and he's been sanctioned by the UK government, as we know. Um, And that leaves Chelsea in a state of limbo, really. So they've lost their identity as a club. They can't buy anyone. They can't sell anyone. They can't find a buyer for the club just yet. So that's got to have an effect on the players, hasn't it? And I know, obviously, the situation in Ukraine overshadows anything that's going on at Chelsea. But I suppose you've got to remember, this is a a living, breathing English football institution that are the current European champions as well, let's not forget. So loads of things to kind of consider and their impact on English football going forward. So, got these boys with me today, Miles and Dave. Um, we get too political, but it's a shock to see Chelsea in this kind of state, isn't it? So, I'll start with yourself, Miles. What is your thought on this as a fellow football fan um, and also as, as somebody who's is kind of only ever known the Abramovich era really in, in your lifetime?
1: It's funny um, because since we've started doing this podcast, even. There have been events take place within football that we've just never seen before and never would have anticipated seeing. Now, the last time I can remember a time like that was probably Abramovich taking over Chelsea, because at that point I do remember it at that point, that kind of money wasn't floating around the game and they had this capability of just picking off whatever they wanted to. And now, seeing what that could lead to in terms of a fall for them, it's really hard to judge because today it's Chelsea, tomorrow it could be Man City, the next day it could be Newcastle, who knows where it extends to. I think it's hard to have much of a feeling towards it, even as a football fan, because I don't think any of us really know what this means still, because it's such a new scenario and something that football's never really been hit with, the government getting involved to this degree with with sanctions like this. Do any of us know what it means for Chelsea? There are certain things that have been stated, the restrictions are clear, but this situation could be completely resolved in terms of a footballing aspect at least within a month or two and then all of a sudden everything's fine again. But there is that fear of, well, what if it's not? The talk of some of the sanctions could have massive implications on Chelsea. I don't know Mm -hmm. how they're going to fulfil certain fixtures, for example there's there's a real problem at the core of how football is organized but you have to ask do
0: you just do you,
1: is this you got to be careful what you wish for right
0: yeah in many ways i mean what does a chelsea fan want now because i mean it's a real test of the kind of ownership model that's become quite common in english football and i think the chelsea newcastle game at the weekend was uh, has been dubbed what the sports washing derby which is quite yeah. a low point really for english football to see two clubs that have been run by mega super rich owners um tied to questionable um regimes as well um playing each other in in, in english football so mm. so many questions about ownership models going forward how chelsea look going forward some fans are seeing this as a potential new start for them maybe a, a different identity from that of the Abramovich here, or something a bit a bit less guilty i've seen some chelsea fans saying they do feel genuine guilt about the way they've won trophies over the last few years and the money they've had invested in them and where it's come from and things like that I don't so think you suddenly, can really feel that way, can you? I mean, it's it's nothing they can do about it. You still will support your team regardless.
1: Well, you do. But do you have to be chanting Roman Abramovich's name while there's a minute of applause for Ukraine? No, that, that, is a,
0: a, that is a minority, though. I think it's we've got to say that. On the whole, I think most Chelsea fans distance themselves from that kind of very hardcore, slightly racist Chelsea Chelsea fan base. I mean, they've mm. that's they, not the first time they've reared their head, to be fair. But uh, well, exactly. yeah, it's a bad taste, wasn't it?
1: It is a club that unfortunately has had issues throughout modern history with their supporters and the way that they conduct themselves. I'm not saying that's all Chelsea fans, of course it's not. And if Mm. this were my club, it would be... We've had this conversation about Newcastle even. If it's your club, you don't know how you'd react to this. And of course, you'd be devastated in some ways. And as a whole, Abramovich's reign has been incredibly successful for Chelsea. They've won the European Cup twice in that time and and they're now one of the powerhouses in european football but that just goes to show the chelsea fans that are chanting his name show that sports washing works because all right all of these yeah. connections to putin are still alleged and he still denies them i think it's probably important that we say that but if that's the way that they look at their owner and that's the way that they want to uh, articulate yeah. themselves in that moment no, well, that just says to me that it's a, it's been a success to bleed money into the club and get them to forget about where it comes from and your reputation. And now yeah. they find themselves in their own hole, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's a bizarre scenario.
0: I think the uncertainty around how they go about their business day to day is genuinely worrying for sort of the thousand odd people they've got on their payroll. Um, mm. Obviously, many of them just regular people. So. That's a concern. And they can't even have the match day club shop open. They can't do catering. They've only got, I think, a £20,000 budget for away games, which I don't know how that's going to work for for European ties. But um, really strange times. And it's weird to see Chelsea sort of thinking about stripping back and spending less all of a sudden. And players probably looking elsewhere. I think Thomas Tuchel's only committed himself to the end of the season and said, yeah, I'll I'll definitely see out the season. But beyond that, nobody knows and uh, Mm. Petr Cech I think is the only person from the club who's actually come out and said anything and even he's completely in the dark so Mm. yeah a lot of questions unanswered that I think only the, the moment the government can kind of provide clarity on because the amount of leeway they've given Chelsea special dispensation because they are a football club has been limited and I think for Chelsea to continue they're going to need some more clarity on how much money they can spend because they've got to keep paying the wages of all these people. I think it's a £28 million a month wage bill or something like like that, which is you can't carry on like that without taking any money. So something's got to give. And uh, I'll I'll go to you next, Dave, because as a fellow football fan, as a Manchester United fan as well, I'm sure you don't take any joy in seeing Chelsea going down this route of uncertainty. So what's your thoughts on it? Um, Watching it from the outside, looking in. Do you feel concerned for Chelsea? Do you think they'll carry on? What's the the future look like in your
2: eyes? Obviously, it's a a precarious situation um, that they're in at the moment. Um, I I think there's been rumours today that we mentioned about, obviously, state-backed clubs and, you know, fans feeling as though, you know, they've been very fortunate to have that sort of money invested into the club. I think there's being an official bid made by sta- um saudi um media group i don't I'm, i don't know the entire background of the company um but if, if that's true and obviously that materializes then that would mean another um another saudi owned uh, club obviously with uh, along with newcastle how that will um, i'm not sure whether they're linked or not but if, if that would be allowed but it would be interesting really again to to see how how that works and how fans feel about um that and I, I think what you say there Mars is you know bang on really I think it's kind of clouded the judgment and um I think fans morals really over you know where where this money does come from and we've seen it with Newcastle the, the purchase of those and we've seen fans dressed to dressed in you know up as Saudis in the in the stands yeah. and I think we're kind of obviously what they've gone through with Mike Ashley is really kind of brought them to the point of desperation where they are willing to you know be owned by pretty much anyone to the point of where it is you know almost uh, a little bit cringe worthy to to look at on yeah. you know a, a lot of fans uh, behalf so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens and again, it's it's a it's a big a big mess really, obviously, with what's going on. It seems as though the government are, you know, determined and willing to kind of try and do what they can to ensure that Chelsea do get um, you know, do get the buyout. Not necessarily just I just hope that they're not gonna it's the club's not gonna be willingly sold to kind of just any sort of Anybody again, um, like you've mentioned there, um, and it's going to be somebody who's got the best interest of the club. I mean, it's going to be a concern, surely, for the for the players to, to you know that the club's going to be going in the right direction for the project that they signed up for, along with the staff and the manager. And obviously, you mentioned um, Tico. I'm sure he'll be you know keeping his eye on that at the end of the season, wondering sort of what what the direction is going to be. And we've seen him already linked with, you know, other jobs. Uh, Man United, uh, I think he's been linked with PSG again as well. Potentially mm. going back there at the end of the season. So, um, you know, it blows your mind, really, what everything that can, you know, that can happen um, from things that are obviously going on around the world. And it's uh, it's had a big impact in such a short space of time and it's i suppose we'll see
1: dave makes a really good point as well about okay so you want to take the club out of abramovich's hands there is only a select few people across the world realistically who could take this club on now because like you say mike their expenditure is absolutely extortionate 28 million a month in playing staff wages is yeah that's Measurable to most people's kind of wealth. So now who takes over? Because it could be equally as problematic. There's talk yeah. that they are now considering changing the fit and proper persons test to consider human rights, which is just, it's, it's laughable. It's a bit it, late for that. It, first of all, yeah, it's a bit late <laughs> for that. Definitely. That's laughable. The second thing is that they're considering whether or not that should be done. That's also laughable. So a a lot of this is really hard to judge. You say, Mike, how do you feel about this as a football fan? I don't know because so much of it is subjective still. Mm. One of the big things that they've said is there might be a way to sell Chelsea still and get these new owners in as long as Abramovich doesn't gain anything from it. But if you've got Chelsea fans still singing his name in the stands and he walks away, with absolutely no money, but Chelsea get to live on with new owners and succeed, he's gained something. He's gained a favourable reputation amongst those fans again, which is a perfect example of what sports washing is. Instead, people are going, oh, well, he's not that bad, is he? Because he let £1.5 go. He's gained popularity. So what do you mean by that? We can't sell the club if Abramovich gains anything. Because in that case, they're stuffed.
0: Well, who because gets the, the money then from a buyout? That's the question. Who does benefit from a sale of Chelsea? Who gets that money? Who are they selling it from buying it from?
1: That's a really interesting question that there's, there's not enough clarity on, really. No. And that's the same with a lot of these things. So, for example, three have come out and said, we want to remove ourselves from the shirt. The last mm. two games, I've seen them, have you? Yeah. So, I don't know what's happened there with that. There's talk that players are, are not going to be able to renew their contracts. And cannot be sold either but surely that's a violation of of your contract so right now if i'm yeah. let's say christian pulisic and i know that there's a big club interested in me but because my owner is under uk government sanctions i can't move my life somewhere else yeah so all of a sudden you've got you're gonna have players that might even want their contracts torn up within the club to try and get out yeah. in the summer they already know that they will definitely lose Aspilicueta, Rudiger and Christensen, if these restrictions hold to the summer. And to be honest, they were probably going to lose those three anyway. But then what? Because mm. Chelsea had been protected as a footballing institution and a pillar of their community. And rightfully so, because they existed long before Roman Abramovich was involved. But they've now dug themselves a hole because his involvement was so heavy. And yeah. this day would come. And it, yeah. it, it could well come for Man City one day. It could well come for Newcastle. But the problem is, the more frequently it comes, the more it starts to tear our game down. And that's going to be the problem. That now yeah. fans are having to pay for this and make moral decisions over their own clubs, which is just unnecessary. They're now saying that Chelsea fans cannot purchase tickets for games anymore. Well, mm. okay, fine. You don't want the club to gain the money. But what about the experience for the young fans who want to go and see their club
0: just give them mm. away you know do it's the right fantastic. thing fill the stadium
1: it, 100% give them away or do something but there's no word on it yet and it's just once mm. again football has tied itself into these awful situations globally that then the everyday person who just appreciates the game has to pay for and it's i don't know it's i find it so frustrating because I often could we have these conversations about corruption within football and the problems that it then leads to because it feels like it's more and more frequent these days
2: i think even if they did were to sell tickets even if they were to say you know we're going to donate the money to you know the ukraine fund um you know to a cause that would make sense you know that rather than just kind of let it go to waste it seems uh, nonsensical
0: really yeah, I think if I was a Chelsea fan, I mean, I remember when Chelsea were, you know, before the Roman Abramovich era, and they were still a sort of a top six Premier League team. And I think the season he took over, they still had a very sort of old Chelsea team. and The squad was very much like old Chelsea money. So they got to the Champions League semi final, I think. And that was still a sign of where they were as a club. They didn't struggle without Abramovich's money. And I don't doubt they would have competed for the Premier League still without them. Obviously not to the extent of winning the Champions League twice. But that's the balancing act of morality as a a football fan. You kind of have, isn't it? Do I want my club to be moderately successful with moderate funds and kind of just try and achieve what we can honestly? Or do I want some billionaire owner? And the problem is now that Roman Abramovich's funds have kind of created a club that needs that money and they need that money to keep coming in. So they've got a playing staff, like you said, that's costing Mm. them an absolute fortune. They've got a reputation now that's global. They're the the current world club champions. They're current European champions. So they're not going to have somebody come in and buy them on a relatively cheap fee. This is going to be a mega sale, isn't it, again? Because that's what they are now. They're a huge club. And I just feel a bit romantic about the old times before they were taken over because they were still good times. They were a very well-respected football club. That's kind of gone a bit now. The new Chelsea, well, I say new, the, the Roman Abramovich Chelsea is a very different identity. So what Chelsea will we see next, I guess? And will we see it in any more of a positive light? It all depends on who buys them. Well, it could well,
1: the- be a thing, because the, the, the big difference is the infrastructure is there now in most cases. Obviously, they've not had a chance to improve the stadium, but a problem it just spent the money, it's there. So things like, look at their academy system. We all moan about how many players Chelsea loan out every single yeah. year, but the revenue that that then creates by developing and selling those players That's a model that Chelsea have. Chelsea also have a global reputation now, like you just said. And they also have playing staff already that are big assets at the club. So the next person comes in, as long as they are wealthy, and let's be honest, anyone that's going to be able to buy a club like that is, they're going to be. They'll be fine. It probably won't change much about Chelsea now because they're they're becoming more and more self-sustainable. Apparently, that 28 million wage bill is covered quite comfortably most months by chelsea's revenue anyway there are occasions mm-hmm. where abramovich has had to put his own hand in his pocket to cover the difference but obviously during a pandemic that's really understandable as to why but it yeah. means that now actually we could end up seeing a more positive chelsea because they'll come in whoever the new owner is will come in as the savior of chelsea football club won't have to spend the money to develop them like abramovich did and instead then can focus on the next steps so I don't worry about Chelsea from any of this. And all these restrictions that we hear, how many times has this happened in football where a massive story hits and we think it's the end of the world and then things change overnight like that. Before a game, this was announced. So you never know what news is going to hit. It will probably be sorted within two, three weeks. And all of a sudden, Aspilicueta will have signed a new contract and they'll be being linked with signing Haaland in the summer or something mad. But right now... It needs to be a moment of reflection for football and football fans as yeah, to definitely. who do I want to be involved in my club because do I want to go through this stress and pressure again? And is it worth letting someone build this reputation under such questionable circumstances? Now that everyone knows what the term sports washing is, how are we still falling for it? That's the question that I don't
2: understand. I mean, it's inter- it'd be interesting to know who's in charge of, you know. Analyzing these bids that come in for the club, I know there's. But he mentioned that, that it will be placed into the hands of these trustees. But yeah. I've, I've got a you know a good, a great idea of who who these are, and I think a lot of attention and care needs to be put into the bids that are being put in from these you know the people because if it if it if the club comes into the hands of people who've you know, there's a lot of controversy around humanitarian um, you know, disasters and um, obviously everything that came with the Newcastle owners and obviously Man City. It's, I think it's really got to be carefully looked at and hopefully the government will, will be able to have a bit of input mm. uh, over this, even though it's difficult to trust them with making the right decisions over things. Um, hopefully on a moral and ethical uh, point of view, the right decision can be made well we're going to move to the football
0: side of it now because we could talk on and on about the ramifications for chelsea it doesn't seem to be affecting them a huge amount in the short term i mean they beat beat norwich in midweek and they only just beat newcastle in uh, the said derby sports washing derby at the weekend and um it it was a lucky escape for chelsea i think it's fair to say there was a definite clear shot for a penalty that i still can't understand why it wasn't given from uh, trevor he had a clear sort of grab onto to murphy's shirt didn't he and then kai havertz probably shouldn't have been on the pitch as well for, a, for an elbow and he got a yellow for that so some very questionable uh, incidents let's say but they won the game with a moment of pure magic from kai havertz who seems to be in a really rich vein of form at the minute and more like the kind of player that we we, we predicted he would be in the last few <laughs> games definitely for chelsea isn't he miles i
1: was gonna say i think he's uh I think he's making a late run-in to make us not look so foolish, Mike, isn't it? Because, yeah, like you say, he's been in great form and the goal was really well taken. He actually should have had another one, like, not long before that. He had a headed opportunity and for a guy with as much aerial ability as Kai Havertz, you kind of expect him to bury that. But on the surface, this looks like a very basic win. But Newcastle, you've got to remember, have been in the best form they've been in in as long as any of us can remember. Eddie anyhow, really under resurgence. They obviously had a good win in midweek against Southampton with that wonderful Bruno Guimaraes goal as well. So this was Mm. a good time for Chelsea to beat Newcastle, as good as it will ever be, really. We we know where Chelsea are going to finish in the league this season. They're going to finish third. But to be dealing with the -the off-the-pitch matters and then performing on the pitch and getting the points right now will be of great comfort to a lot of people. So a very professional win, I would say. You are right. They probably should have uh, conceded the penalty to Trevor Chalobah, and Havertz maybe should have been sent off for his as well. But at the end of the day, you need the rub of the green sometimes, and and they took their chance when they got it. And again, Timo Werner looked lively again, but just cannot keep himself on side. I, yeah. I can't understand a player of his pace. Needing to be behind the last man. It's weird
0: because he would have had a penalty as well if he'd have yeah. stayed on side, and it wasn't yeah. quite a clear penalty as well. He so, did yeah, well,
1: to win that penalty as well. He when he's on the ball, it looks great, but he just cannot get his positioning right. It's bizarre.
0: So, what do you make of Newcastle, Dave? Because they, they put together a really good run of form. They look out of danger now, and they actually gave Chelsea a really good game. And I like this, this team at the moment because Eddie Howe hasn't, I mean, he has he spent a lot of money in a short space of time, but they're on players that I think. Not many teams would have signed. I didn't. wouldn't have predicted they'd have signed Trippier, for example. He played well at the start when he was in. Guimaraes looks like a really decent player, doesn't he? And I think this team as it is now looks like a nice team to sort of root for. But I think that's obviously going to change when they start spending silly money in the future. But I yeah. like Eddie Howe. I like his approach. I like the way Newcastle have changed their approach. And it's good to see them competing against the likes
2: of Chelsea, really, isn't it, in some ways? I think you know a few weeks ago, obviously when Trippy got injured, we did wonder how the rest of the team would kind of respond to that. Obviously, because that you could see how much of a big player was for them when he came to the team. Obviously, had a couple of match-winning moments. Um, so, I mean, the fallout of that, we've seen actually Newcastle go from strength to strength, and the unity I think strikes me is. Um, and obviously defending from the front, what I did notice for with them against Chelsea is they they were so intense intense in their in their press that they were kind of on the Chelsea defense, um straight away. And I, th- I feel as though they've got a lot of belief in themselves, particularly ever since whatever Eddie Howes c- came in and obviously done and spoke to them, and he's instilled a belief in them in that they're able to get through this. And we've seen over the last. Few games, you know, they've gone on this run, and um, you've got to give them a lot of credit. I think they were unfortunate not to get a result, it's a point at least against Chelsea. I think Chelsea at the moment, what we're seeing with them is without being spectacular, they're getting the job done and they're, they're getting the points that they need. And um, again, you don't know about if they finish third, but Arsenal are certainly cranking up the pressure if they can win their games in hand, you never know. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, you pro- you'd probably expect them to, to you know, um, con- consolidate in that position um, cement that position in third. And um, I think they'll do it pretty comfortably in the end, to be honest.
0: Mm.
2: What goes beyond that
0: is still unknown, obviously. But yeah, I think in terms of the football side of things, they, they've they got things in their own hands and they don't look like a bad, a bad team right now, even though everything that's going on around them seems to want them to to kind of fail they seem to be content to kind of just plow on and and cement that top three like you said but in terms of that fourth spot you mentioned arsenal briefly but united and spurs played off against each other at the weekend between a match between two teams that seemingly don't want fourth place from the the recent form <laughs> it's just like win loss win loss win loss for both of them it feels like but united came out on top on this particular occasion dave and a uh, cristiano ronaldo hat-trick for the first time since I think it was 2008 we've seen that happen in the Premier League. Um, He was brilliant, wasn't he, Ronaldo? He was really his best game in the United shirt since his return, I think. And he's had some good highlights, it's fair to say. What did United do differently this time? Um, And where did Spurs come on the stock as well, Dave, in your opinion?
2: Yeah, 14 years separate. His first and second hat-trick for United Um, His first against Newcastle. Um, I remember that like it was yesterday and in the glory days and uh yeah i mean it definitely yeah, is best performance as you say there he, he looked a breath of fresh air and i think Randnick mentioned that you know maybe we should let him go back to portugal for two or three break you know every time if this hour he's going to perform and <laughs> but um Yeah, I I feel as though the performance itself. There were two or three good performances in there. One spectacular performance by Ronaldo, like you mentioned. Um, He looked like he was chomping at the bit, and yeah, I think a lot of of Roy Keane mentioned he looked like he was angry enough to kind of prove critics wrong because obviously a lot had gone on in the last week, a lot of murmurs in the press about. Um, he had been dropped for the Man City game, um, whether or not that was the case. He looked like he was out to prove people wrong. And, he, you know, he's he's come out and shown that a lot of people were saying, oh, he's finished and this and that. But he's clearly still got the ability in those moments. Fair enough, he might not be able to play 90 minutes every game. We even saw that in his in his last years at Real Madrid. He, had, he was getting subbed for, you know, he was getting benched for Cup games, Copa del, Real, del Rey games, until sure. the last stages of the competition. So, I don't see why, the only reason why I feel United can't bench him is because we don't have that many options. We've got Rashford, who's completely out of form. We've yeah. got, obviously, Alango's very young, It's a bit unfair to throw him straight in and expect, you know, the level of performance that we need to, to be getting these results and Cavani's obviously been injured as well so we've been a bit of a mess on that front so Mm. is it and there's rumors obviously that Ronaldo has been playing injured for a couple of months now with a hip flexor so whether whether or not that's true or not um Mm. is another thing but I mean the result the performance itself we've seen that we've won you know that we've had performances where we have played better and not got results this season so um, Ronaldo is the main difference. We had Fred in there, probably had his, one of his best games this season in midfield. I felt yeah. as though, and I, I just feel as though Fred is a better player in a box-to-box role yes. rather than sit-in position. We've seen him in a pivot next to McTominay, especially during um, Solskjaer's reign. Uh, he, it just didn't look right. Um, and we've have seen a lot of uh Fred's better performances this season have been in you know those more advanced positions where he's able to link um defense and attack. And I think he plays in a similar role for Brazil as well. Um obviously Brazil's got you know Fabinho and um Nero obviously sitting in there. So he doesn't need to perform in that role. He can operate a little bit further forward and we've been able to see him kind of flourish in a little bit better where he's been able to link attacks. Um and also chip in with a few more a few goals this season. So fair play to him. You've got to give him a lot of credit for putting in that yeah. performance. And Jaden Sancho, I feel like he's going strength to strength now. We're starting to see, you know, what he's capable of. And um Randall did mention in his press conference he he seemed like he was trying to adapt to physicality and the intensity of the Premier League. And let's be honest, it's on a it's on a different level to uh, the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he's really starting to come into his own now. He's looking sharp, and um, I feel as though you know it, it almost sort of, sort of like he lacked a little bit of, bit of belief early on in the season. Um, and I don't think it helped that Solskjaer benched him for so long and didn't give him the opportunities. Was continuing, you know, continuing to play Rashford, who was out of sorts anyway. Yeah. Um so there's a lot there's a lot of positives in there. I I feel as though the you know the performance could have been better. Tottenham had their chances. We we were slightly fortunate in a couple of instances. that had De Gea made two or three mm-hmm. good saves. You know, how many times have we mentioned that this season? <laughs> um <laughs> The goals it's the goals themselves, Ronaldo's first one was brilliant. That was magic. You know, mm-hmm. Um a ri a real uh, yeah, it was a real um, vintage Ronaldo goal. You know, how many have we seen
0: scored? I think all seasons? of his goals were kind of elements of his game, weren't they? He had a really good towering header where he hung in the air for ages. Mm-hmm. And then a poacher's goal from a, you know, a Sancho uh,
2: whip into the box. And he think- he didn't well to keep himself on there, to be honest. I thought, yeah, I a lot of people thought that was offside on first view. I mean, very tight, but... Um, yeah, I, I've got to give a bit of a shout out to Alex Tellers actually as well he got an assist he probably could have had another one I think it was Ronaldo had one uh, at the near post was just saved um, apparently he could start midweek so hopefully yeah. mm-hmm. um, where this leaves Spurs though is the question I suppose yeah, well, I think
0: United were soaking up a lot of pressure for the first part of the game. I thought Tottenham did really well and and should have taken advantage of the momentum. And I think when I've, you said it last week, Miles, that uh, Harry Maguire is under the microscope now. And I think with his own goal straight away, I was like, oh, he's the headline again. Thankfully, it didn't end up being the case. But mm. the gloating towards him, was it from Christian Romero when he turned the ball oh, into his horrible. own goal? It was really odd. And I felt like Tottenham from that point on almost coasted a little bit. And yeah. got hit massively think, in the face with, with some karma, I think, from a United. That response. was bizarre. A first, really weird. As yeah. a centre back as well,
1: and just as a professional footballer, you know that that moment is a really awkward moment for him. There yeah. are, you have to try and deal with it. That's happened. I thought it was awful. I'm really glad that United got the win just because of that moment, to be honest. <laughs> it really did my idea. They were spot on with, with what he thought of United's performance, they, it, yeah. it wasn't that different to what we've seen United play like recently. But there were three wonderful performances in it that he's mentioned. But what I would say is I would still be worried about the defensive frailty because it did look like when Spurs came forward, had they been a bit more purposeful, it was there for the taking. Maguire needs to not play a couple of games. Give him some time out of the limelight, rest him, let him collect himself a bit and take some of the pressure off him. Get Lindelof and Varane in there together just for a couple of games yeah. at least because it's it's too much for him at the moment. He's making the wrong decisions at every moment. If he'd, he left the ball against Man City and it led to a goal, he played the ball against Tottenham when really if he'd left it, the guy running him would have been offside. Yeah. It, he just hasn't got the right decision-making right now because he just seems flustered by everything. So Spurs yeah. really have got to rue this and think that had they not been coming against... A world class player in Ronaldo, they should have got three points here. Really, for the way that they played, but they just, they just, they just couldn't get it un- under control. It seemed.
2: Yeah. One... Mentioned... God, Dave. that way you mentioned there, miles actually, is a good point. The Maguire end goal we've seen it happen on a number of occasions this season, where you know the attack has been in offside position. There's a pass going into him. He's clearly had an effect on that phase of play. You know yeah. if. If mm. Maguire misses, like you say, it goes through to him, it's offside. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, but it's offside. It should be offside. And and this rule that obviously um mm. that's in place at the moment says otherwise. But surely something needs to be changed because we've seen it happen on a lot of occasions this season. Was it back end of last season, obviously the one with um with is it Man City Villa, wasn't it, with Ming? Rodri. Yeah, it's oh. seen it over and over again, and for me, it's it's you know there's an intent there. You having an effect on play, it, it should be offside, and yeah, I just can't understand why it's not. Well, it didn't matter in the end, thankfully.
0: Um, again, I think Spurs' form is so inconsistent. I can't see them making any kind of charge for top four now, uh, and to be honest, I don't think they deserve it. So it is United and Arsenal really head to head. Arsenal have a lot of games in hand, but that means nothing in the Premier League this season, I think. And I think Burnley is proof of that. But they're in some really good form. And I think, once again, we've seen another Arsenal display where they didn't look under any kind of pressure. They didn't look like they were worried about losing the game. They really took the game to Leicester, um, beat them 2-0 in the end, and a customary corner conceded from them yet again. Absolutely. Um, Miles, what the hell is going on with Arsenal at the minute? But then also, what the hell is going on with Leicester? Leicester are such a weird
1: side. (laughs) I don't get it. Obviously, Leicester have got so much favour with so many football fans still. And I appreciate what they're trying to do. And there's been some players that have really stepped up this season and shown some really good form. Harvey Barnes has been brilliant again. James Madison's looked loads, loads better as well. But this defensive incapability at corners... (laughs) It's baffling because I just don't understand how they've not addressed it by now. And fair play to Arsenal for taking advantage of it. It was a brilliant delivery by Martinelli. Partey got a really good connection to what he needed to do. And that was that. And after that point, you knew that Arsenal would see the win out. And how often have we been able to say that about an Arsenal side Mm -hmm. over the last few years? They went 1-0 up and you were confident that they would either extend the lead or hold on to it. So, yeah, well done to Arsenal again. They, they are playing nice football. The midfield's starting to click a lot more, which is really encouraging for them. I still think that these games in hand will be the determining factor because they've got, what, Chelsea, Liverpool and Spurs. Yeah. And, all right, we've just said that we don't trust Spurs' form, but in a North London derby, who knows? Um, they obviously play Villa at the weekend as well. And I have the joy of watching that in a household full of <laughs> Arsenal fans. Naya's family have very carefully planned a weekend together on the Arsenal Villa fixture, so you can all think of me this week, but they do look like they're on for fourth, which is great for them because in terms of Arteta's development, it's probably a little bit ahead of schedule as to where he anticipated to be this season. They invested in the summer, but if you look at the level of player they brought in, it wasn't Champions League quality, but they've developed together as a unit Mm. into something that could be, so it's a really interesting time for them, another really good result, and now it's just whether they can get the results in the games that really matter across yeah. the rest of the season.
0: I think they've, been, uh, they've been shown to fall short against uh, the bigger teams, haven't they? Man City yeah, have smashed definitely. them, Liverpool have smashed them. So it'd be interesting to see how they, they cope when they come up against
2: another really tough opposition,
0: isn't it? Yeah. But what were you going to say, Dave, just then?
2: It'd be interesting to see what the record is for set pieces conceded, because what did you say, Miles? It was 14 goals conceded from set pieces? that that's was a few that was a few weeks ago wasn't it <laughs> yeah
1: definitely it's been a couple of since i think it's ridiculous <laughs> there's a lot of records like that i think leeds have conceded more goals than any premier league side ever has at this point in the season as well which
2: is just wow but, that's you know, insane yeah, but I'm,
1: gonna
0: say
2: god dave um i don't remember what i was gonna say i'll
0: get you <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say it was interesting because Leicester rested a lot of key players with the Europa Conference League in mind. And yeah. I've never thought I'd say that sentence at the start <laughs> of the season because it's one of them competitions. We still don't know how much importance it has winning it. But mm. I think you look at the, the 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 sides left in it and Leicester are probably the clear favourite. I mean, there's Roma still in there, isn't there? There's but Marseille. Marseille. But Jose think...
1: Mourinho and Tammy Abrahams-Roma, thank you
0: very much. They're well, very up. inconsistent No, you know, I think Leicester, are, well, they are too, but I think they've yeah. got as much of a shout as, as anyone else.
2: I think to put Leicester's season into perspective, I think they're only four or five points ahead of Newcastle, which says everything really about, you know, how their season has transpired. Uh, you know, it's uh, and there's, there's got to be a lot of worry, I think, from Leicester fans, especially... A lot I've seen a lot of you know questioning Brendan Rodgers and kind of where he goes from here in the in the summer in particular because there's so many players that are getting rumored you know and touted about to different clubs tillman's in particular mm. um, I'm sure there's there's a lot of players in there who are kind of their heads have been turned and wondering what's next so it wouldn't surprise me if brendan rogers Rodgers left at the end of the season and you know if if they won the you know the Conference League that would mm. be. You know, a good finish to the season, go out on a positive. If, yeah, and if there are players that do want to leave and want to leave the club, and it's going to be another huge rebuild club because I feel as though their squad is not probably not good enough anyway to be to get to where they feel like they want to be anyway. Um, sorry, you go feel, on,
1: Mom. you make a really good point about where Leicester's season is at and how you evaluate it because. Yeah, all right. They're what? They're four points ahead, three points ahead of Newcastle, I think. But they're also, they're what? They're three points behind Villa now. Now, Leicester were aiming for Champions League this season, we can assume, because they came so close the last two seasons. Villa have sacked their manager at one point this season at at fears of a relegation battle. And then they're Mm. three points ahead of Leicester. So, Rodgers is quite fortunate that he built up so much credit because... There are clear tactical failings within Leicester that you can't label just at the players anymore. The one good thing that they've had over the last couple of weeks in terms of when you talk about building for the future is I think Fafana's just signed a new deal to keep him there till 2027. And he's obviously very highly rated and they've missed him a lot this season. So at least there are some players kind of tying themselves down which could encourage a bit more growth. Hmm.
2: I think it helps probably that he's come back from an injury. Yeah. Um, I think you get a lot of big clubs, especially, you know, off of the back of the Maguire purchase. They've probably been looking at seventy million to get him out of Leicester, going yeah. off of his performances before he did get injured. But they'll be looking to see if he's the same player after such a, a high-profile injury.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, moving on to the bottom
0: end of the table, if you if you will. Um, so, looking at Leeds and Everton, they've been drawn into the relegation battle in recent weeks, but. Leeds have taken action and replaced their manager. Everton have too. They've both had very different starts to their times at the club, respectively. So, Jesse Marsh got his first win at Ellen Road, which was a fantastic electric atmosphere actually for the game um, against Norwich with a last-minute winner. Very, very deep into injury time, which was you know, very fortunate as well. They hit the, the woodwork quite a lot. But then Everton have been dragged even further into the mire. And I don't know what Frank Lampard was thinking taking that job. We said, didn't we, what a gamble this is going to be for club and for him. But it doesn't look like it's paying off so far. Based on those two results, Miles, I think it's fair to say Everton are probably closer to the trapdoor than Leeds right now, aren't they?
1: Yeah, it's sad to say. Everton obviously have three games in hand over Leeds. But with the way their form is, what's a game in hand actually worth? Well, nothing, it feels like. Mm. They just, they look awful, don't they? I mean, Leeds Leeds got their win against Norwich. And if you don't beat Norwich right now, you, you probably are going down. Let's be 100% honest. Really? I also watched Leeds play Villa in the week and they were awful. They were It was so easy for Villa to take Leeds apart. Uh so they really needed this. They really needed to pick themselves up. And when Norwich got that late equaliser, I mean, that was in the 91st minute. Mm. You really thought this isn't their their season and Leeds could drag, get really dragged into this. And it would have been a great point for Norwich. But that sort of 94th minute winner and your manager's first win for you, that's the sort mm. of thing that could lift the spirits of a camp enough to drive them out of that situation. Because they do have some good players there. Patrick Bamford's back now as well. And although we didn't score in this game, I thought he looked really impressive. Rafinha hit the bar twice and, and again, just showed what a quality player he is through the spells of the game. So Everton look in a lot more trouble than Leeds because I just, even though on paper and based on some of their track records, you'd think Everton have got a few quality players in there. There's no sign of it at all. They just look woeful, Mm. to be honest.
0: It's weird because obviously Burnley's still got a couple of games in hand, but they're not taking advantage of any of them so far. but Watford won again um against Southampton as well so it's not as clean cut as we we started talking about a few weeks ago but as it might be Dave are you are you changing your mind about that can you see Watford pulling back either Everton or Leeds into the conversation now
2: I did say the other week didn't I, I thought I've got a feeling Watford might somehow stay up but I didn't know we couldn't quite see where it was going to come from but um Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised, actually, that they held on. I think what was really encouraging is they were actually, Southampton pulled that goal back and uh, instantly when they scored that goal, I thought, you know, this is going to be a real test of their nerve and mentality, Um, being in that position and holding out for as long as they did. I think that's got to be a real positive for them and and instill a lot of belief in that team. Um, I'm not entirely sure how difficult their running is, but... Um, you know, for all the teams there at the bottom, it's going to be a difficult, you know, running, challenging, especially. Um, I I thought the Norwich Leeds game was a brilliant game, but it it was the way Norwich conceded that goal again that was ridiculous. Um, on the balance of play, Leeds probably did deserve deserve to deserve a victory, obviously, on on the balance of how many chances they had, you know. But like you say, there, Miles. You know, if you're not beating Norwich, then you, you probably do deserve to go down um, mm-hmm. as bad as they have been this season. Um, Leeds are definitely still down there, and you know they're in real difficulties. And we'll we'll see how they do in the coming weeks, um, because we've just seen how easy teams have been able to beat them. Um, it's just you know, and without difficulty, and it's. To be fair, I think it goes a long way saying, as a United fan, I actually don't mind playing Leeds at the minute, because they're just the beating boys, really, of the league. And that's astounding, saying that because they're not even at the bottom of the league, you know. I think as it goes to show there's a lot of teams at the bottom who are just so much weaker than the rest, and it really is going to be a test of who's, you know, who, who's, who's uh, not... You know, The best of a bad bunch, I suppose, yeah, what we've what already... Thank, thankfully
1: for them, it looks like that might be Brentford because they were on such an awful run of form and then they get a, a win against Burnley as well who just... They looked awful. I think yeah. about the relegation picture, it looked like we could assume Norwich and Watford were down and you thought, mm-hmm. Sean Dyches Burnley might just know how to get themselves out of it. Watching them at the weekend, I thought there's not a chance they'll get out of it. They, they're definitely championship quality. And all yeah. of a sudden, Watford, who were definitely down, are level on points with Everton. It's so tight. All of a sudden, <laughs> I think everyone's had this mentality: of, Everton are too big to go down. They yeah. brought in Deli Alley, they brought in Van der Beek, they've got Richarlison and Calvert Lewin. They'll be fine. They'll get. It's not fine. <laughs> like no. there aren't many games <laughs> left now. Even Everton, with their games in hand, only have twelve games left of the season. I don't think that's a position they wanted to be in, where they're losing this often. <laughs> That they are level on points with the bottom three now that You mentioned awesome.
2: their, next, their next three games are difficult as well aren't they not, yeah, not easy. Yeah.
1: they've not got a good running at all everton not just their next three but across the the end of the season they have got some big games come in so
0: yeah oh dear and that's the thing it's an easy game but i mean they've had some more winnable games recently and they've just capitulated so yeah. and looking at the form and the momentum leads might get from a win like that like you said it might be the difference but yeah. um quick one i want to finish on for you guys i didn't plan this in at the start but I've, it's just occurred to me liverpool beats a really poor looking brighton 2-0 luis diaz scored he looks fantastic mo salah yeah. scored a penalty kind of the new guard and the old guard potentially now yeah. mo salah hasn't signed a new deal yet and apparently he's really eking out more money yeah and i think as a liverpool fan if i was if i was supporting them i would be like well Surely you want to cement a legacy as a legend of this club. This is not going to look great if you, if you drag out this contract. Imagine Salah leaving on a free next summer. That would be a terrible way to leave the club, wouldn't it? But it looks like it could happen. So what's your take on this? Is, is Salah right to ask for more? What's 50 grand a week between mega millionaire players at this stage of the game? You know, Surely he just wants to cement a legacy as a Liverpool player now. I think he's, what, 30 this year? Yeah. it will be 31 by the time his contract runs out, potentially. Yeah. So what is he doing, Miles? What's he thinking?
1: Uh, it's, it's his last big, big contract, isn't it? Because he's reaching that sort of age. And arguably, he is in the top three best players in the world right now. And he wants to be paid what that's worth. You've seen the wages that Ronaldo, Messi or Neymar, for example. Neymar's probably a better comparison, actually, have commanded over the years. It doesn't surprise me that he feels that he's in a position where that's his value. He won't go. He'll stay at Liverpool because he's made it very clear that he does love being there. He's not looking for a move. He's just looking to be paid what he thinks. And I think Liverpool will will buckle. What might not work in his favour is Luis Diaz he's looked absolutely fantastic since he's come in and if he can continue developing in that way they've already got Jota and Diaz as replacements for Mane and Firmino if they're looking to bring that new school in maybe they won't negotiate a deal with Salah but then the idea is you've got to sell him this summer because you can't let him go on a free you've got to make but I don't think any of that will happen he'll be a Liverpool player for a good few years yet
0: but that's Mm. the thing if you negotiate a massive deal like that at a club like Liverpool that are To be fair, ran quite tightly compared to other clubs. They don't pay astronomical wages of 400k plus a week, you know? So forcing their hand to do that surely is not in the best interest of Liverpool. And I think, as a legacy thing, Salah shouldn't be thinking that way, surely.
2: I think they'll be, I think Liverpool will be wary of, you know, upsetting their wage structure. Um, Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I can see what Miles is saying in that you know, it's so likely that it will leave because of, you know, the environment that he's in and how well set Liverpool look as a team and, you know, they've the 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 options that they have up front, they're, you know, they're fruitful in, in their options, especially in the attacking positions. But I think I think it there comes a time as a club, I suppose when you're looking at the longevity of of Salah obviously what is he 29 now is he 30 yeah. next year or 30 under this he's year 30 this summer yeah yeah i suppose they'll be looking at that and thinking you know how long is he going to be able to give of at his current level and you know like you say he's one of the best one of the best players in the world at the moment and i'm sure there'll be a lot of teams that be interested but how long a deal are they going to offer him if they are interested could it be 3 years with an what option, reminds of-, of reminds me of the Messi
0: situation because I mean, he could have stayed at Barcelona if it took a pay cut. Um, if his heart was in it, then why didn't he? Now, look at him at PSG, completely soulless club, no prospect of Champions League, getting booed by his own fans hilarious. I mean- Salah could find himself in a position where no one can afford him except a PSG and he just sells his soul and plays for a, a club for mega money to see out his yeah. career. And what a sad end that would be for you know, one of the most iconic players in the Premier League now. So it really is down to him what kind of legacy he wants to cement. And that's the, the, the kind of tipping point for me. Where does he go next? That's going to be really telling what kind of well, player he is. Let me
1: just flirt an idea that we all are kind of assuming that Kylian Mbappe is going to go to Real Madrid this summer which will leave a hole in the PSG front line. But also, Liverpool have had a very vocal interest in Mbappe before, and he is available on a free. And there's not been much talk about this contract being sorted anytime soon. And PSG are a state. Who knows? Maybe Liverpool will use that as a bargaining chip. Okay, Go and get your money elsewhere, and we'll bring in Kylian Mbappe. To well, I guess
0: if they're going to pay that kind of money on a wage for Salah, why not just pay for Mbappe instead with another, what, 15 years out of him, potentially? So,
2: yeah, you're right makes sense <laughs> I, think it, I think it's the worst kept secret that Mbappe's you know his dream move is Real Madrid I can't see him going anywhere other than Real Madrid to be honest like, Well, good as Liverpool are I, I, I feel yeah. like it's, it's looking like he's going to go to Real Madrid if Real Madrid get Mbappe and Haaland that would be ridiculous
1: <laughs> I agree with you I imagine that's where he'll go what I will say is the Champions League tie is done now and he is available you can have a pre-contract agreement with him and nothing's been done yet. I'm surprised at that. And if the situation Mm. with Salah changes, I wonder whether they could convince him that a move to England would be better for his career at this point, because he could always move on to Madrid later on.
0: Who knows? Uh, Interesting one to end the the podcast on this week. So thanks for your insight into that curveball that I threw at you guys. It's um, (laughs) an interesting week of football this week because we've got European football returning, which we may talk about in a future pod. But uh, beyond that, I think it's FA Cup weekend after that so premier league um there's very few games taking place but we will be back next week make no mistake we'll <laughs> be here to talk about all the latest football news and goings on and whatever situation chelsea might find themselves in at that particular moment will be keeping a close eye on but uh, in the meantime thank you again for your time guys appreciate you uh, speaking to me it's again on. and having these conversations and thank you for watching if you can hit subscribe that'd be a huge help for the channel grow- growing going forward so until then speak to you soon thanks a lot thanks mate Just-